Hi, everyone. On today's episode, we have Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts is a professor and former hospitality executive with a background in numerous fields. Before coming to Cornell to teach hotel operations and channel distributions, he was a manager in the finance department of American Airlines, a missile defense consultant with the U.S. Department of Defense, and the senior vice president of revenue strategies and solutions at Marriott. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the Hotelie Podcast. My name is Lucas Wero, and I'm your host. Co-host with me today is Teo Bielan, and we have our amazing distinguished guest, Professor Dave Roberts. Professor Roberts, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're, we're more than happy to have you. This has been a project that's been in the works for months now, and we're ready to roll it out. So we'd like to just begin by knowing a little bit about yourself. What was your experience here at Cornell, but more specifically, your experience at the hotel school? Sure. Well, I came to Cornell as a freshman. I did uh, undergraduate, graduate engineering here, and uh, started, my, started my life as an engineer shooting down rockets, and through some twist of fate, got into the travel business, the hotel business, and worked at Marriott for a long time, 23 years, retired uh, for the purpose of going into teaching, and I started teaching at Virginia Tech, which I love, and got a phone call from Cornell, would you like to come teach at the hotel school? Are you kidding me? The answer is yes. I don't need to hear any more. Yeah, so I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I am uh, just finished year three. Amazing. So when you were here at Cornell studying as an engineer, you were on the wrestling team, correct? Yeah, freshman year. What was that experience like? It was awesome. Uh, I, I was a walk-on. I was not recruited. Um, seemed like something fun to do. I enjoyed it. Uh, I wasn't good enough to start, but I was good enough to make the team. And it was, it was a fabulous experience. What a, what a great group of guys. Uh, a lot of life lessons in there, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I guess moving through your career as an undergrad at Cornell, you went through all these engineering classes and then kind of moved into this, you know, military expertise world out there. Do you mind speaking a little bit more on, you know, maybe the, the briefcases and yeah. everything you had to do? Sure. So my first job out of grad school was I was a consultant to the Pentagon on missile defense. And I had... Top Small job, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had, I had top secret clearance, and I had, at the time, what was called the black program clearance, which was a level above top secret. Uh, and it was satellite defense for the purposes of, of uh, ICBM, intercontinental ballistic missile defense. And did that for three years. It was, it was really, really fun. I loved it. I was kind of a nerd. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I decided I wanted to go into the business world at some point in my adult life. And that's why I chose to go back to business school to learn something about it and then go into the business world. Amazing. But uh, you mentioned a briefcase. I, I did travel with a locked briefcase. I, there were a lot of security protocols back then. Um, one thing I'll say for the benefit of your listeners, in the movies, sometimes they have locked briefcases that are handcuffed to your wrist. That's not real. That's a, that's a movie gimmick. <laughs> True. I still have that briefcase at home, the one wow. that I used to carry that's... Uh, heavily fortified, two different locks. I, it's in my closet at home. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a great story. And, and thank you so much again, Professor Roberts, to, for, for being the first ever uh, my, guest on the Hotel Podcast. My pleasure to be here. It's, it's our pleasure to have you. And, and so you mentioned you were at Marriott for 23 years. It's a long years. time. And so my question for you is, what was so special about the company that made you want to stick around for that long? Well, I, I found that I was fascinated by travel and hospitality. I started in the airline business 
And even within travel and hospitality, Marriott is an exceptional company. I'm, I'm biased when I say that. It's the finest company on planet Earth. And I was able to work on so many cool, different things, learn different things. I was given so much opportunity to do, to do um, you know, all sorts of things all over the world, different kinds of projects, surrounded by fabulous people. I mean, what, what's not to like? You know, it's not utopia. Every day wasn't perfect. But uh, if I could rewind the clock, I would do it again in a heartbeat. That's great. And, and kind of a follow-up to that, during your time at Marriott, I know you, you helped develop the revenue management system. And so you also worked extensively with analytics, integrating technology into hotel operations. So as these systems become more sophisticated, what do you think the role of humans is going to be in just that hotel decision-making process? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I have given that some thought. I actually <laughs> thought about it before the podcast. Um, I thought about it so much I wrote a book on that exact topic, which is, so the book, the book this is not a book plug, um, I don't make much money if you buy the book, any of the listeners. Um, but I feel so strongly about the discipline of revenue management that I decided to sit down and write a book about it. And the book is about the, the, the future of that discipline and the role of humans and the role of computers. And they're both changing. And the, the crux of that book is that the machine is going to do more of the tactical part of the revenue management role, like what's my price next Wednesday, how many government premium rooms should I take, um, you know, what, what's my forecast for my premium rooms in March. Those, those are increasingly done by the machine, which means, which frees up some time for the humans. And as a, as a broad philosophical statement, humans should focus on things that computers can't do. And as of now, computers don't do strategy. Computers don't even do analytics. They're, they're really good at number crunching, but they don't actually do the analytics and the interpretation part of that. So that's, that's kind of a 150-page book in 30 seconds. Right. Now, I guess my follow-up to that is right now we have a huge emergence of AI. And things that were previously not able to be done by computers, you can ask now one question and you have you know, essays of information that you can use. How do you think AI will now kind of move into this sector? And not even just hospitality in general, but just in technology and I guess with these systems that are already out there. Yeah, that's another great question. Um, so part of AI has been in, in hospitality and specifically in revenue management for a while, and that part is machine learning. And there actually wrote a chapter in my book on machine learning and revenue management. And the machine learning part is to make better tactical decisions. So an area of revenue management that lends itself to machine learning is certainly forecasting, like demand forecasting, cancel forecasting, maybe even some of the pricing models. So that's a, that's a machine learning approach, and, and machine learning is an important component of AI. Uh, a year ago or so, generative AI became a huge thing, and that is way beyond machine learning. And you can think of that as if you had a totally dedicated really, really smart research analyst to focus on one specific topic and could study it for years, they would give you really good sound advice on that topic. And AI can do that in seconds or minutes across a wide variety of topics. So things, I don't think generative AI is going to help out with the portions that are now benefiting from machine learning, like forecast accuracy, but I think it does come into play when you're thinking about 
what is the impact of border closures on demand for these markets? What happens when uh, the, the seasonality of a resort market is changing because of different weather patterns? Those kind of things, that's not a machine learning answer, but that is a generative AI answer. And the, the question that I don't, I don't know, is that like really gonna take hold a year from now, five years from now? Um, I'm, I'm super excited about the, the, the evolution of AI, and I keep saying to myself, whatever we're seeing now is the dumb version. This is the dumb version, and it's gonna get a lot smarter. So a year from now, we're gonna look back at 2023 like this is the dumb version, and I'm super excited about it. Well, exactly. So I have a very similar experience with AI itself. I, I Before I ever even used it, I just kind of played around with it last year, and it, it was helpful, but then I made an account. And then I kept asking it very, just questions, and it started to learn about answers that I wanted. And over time, I mean, now, and now from maybe a year from now, five years from now, it'll know exactly what I want before I even know what I want. Yeah. And that to me is something that, I mean, humans can't do that in the amount of time that it takes a computer to do it. It's yeah. just the connection between the two and then the time frame that the, whatever you ask gets completed is now near nothing. And that's something that, I'm really excited about, but also almost a little worried about because, you know, what's going to happen to the real world with it? And I think that's a question that I don't know if we have enough information to know about yet. Yeah, I think you're right. There's, there's, a, there's a scary channel to it. It, it, it could go south conceivably. Um, I'm more optimistic than that, but I think there, there needs to be regulations for sure because it could go, it could go horribly wrong. Um, but it's, it's so useful, it's so ubiquitous. I mean, I, I use it now. I run all my exams through uh, AI, through ChatGPT. Um, by the way, it has yet to pass one. But, <laughs> but I do test it like that. Um, I use it, so the book that I, the second book I just did, almost all the illustrations are AI generated mm. because I couldn't find a good graphic that showed what I wanted to show. So I went into OpenAI and make a little account and say, I'm looking for this, 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 and it just draws it for you. I'm like, damn, that is good. Pardon my language. That is good. Um, I'll give you a practical example. One thing I used in my backyard, uh, there was a snake. And it was sort of a bright greenish looking snake. And I have a choice to make. Do I pick it up at the rake and gently put it back in the woods, or do I run away and scream? Well, I don't know, because I don't know what kind of snake it is. So I took out my phone, took a picture, and used Google Lens. And I trusted Google to process the images. I mean, that's a clear application of AI. And it said, that snake's OK. You can pick it up and put it back in the woods, which I did. And I'm still alive to talk about it. So <laughs> there's a practical application. <laughs> that's amazing right there. <laughs> yeah, and they do shoes, too. You can look up a, a random pair of shoes on someone, and it'll show you a link to go buy it, or even a piece of clothing. Yeah. I mean, um, that Google, Google Lens is remarkable. They, they purposely took. Uh, facial recognition off the consumer-facing version, which is smart. But you can take a picture of a car, and it will tell you the make, model, and year of the car. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. Amazing. Anyway. It's crazy. And so we've talked a lot about AI and how helpful it might be moving forward in, in the hospitality industry and just in general. But I remember in class you saying that you hope that the future of hospitality is not only AI, because at the core of hospitality is the people. So where do you think the, we have to draw the line of integrating too much AI into hotels versus focusing mostly on keeping that people aspect alive? 
Yeah, I think it's going to be consumer driven. And I, I think we will see more and more automation, more applications of AI in the hotel business, including on property services. The, the challenge for hotel operators and brands will be to use it in ways that are not really value additive or uh, that would create a core competence or core advantage, um, you know, competitive advantage. So things like looking up details about the timing that, you know, when's the restaurant open or what's, what's the gym look like or like things or, you know, send me, send me something to my room. Those are all things that could be done rapidly. That should probably be automated. But the, the personal hospitality experience, if companies or individual hotels go too far down that path and automate those, they lose the personal touch. Well, they're going to lose some customer loyalty. And so that's going to be, I believe it'll be all consumer driven what consumers want. And there's, there's a lot of cases now where consumers want to bypass the front desk. You know, if you're in a hurry, I'm on a business trip, I'm arriving at 11 p.m. and I've got a meeting at 7 in the morning, I, I don't actually want to chit-chat with someone. I want to use my mobile key, I want to check in. And that's always going to be the case, but you need people there. When the guest wants any human interaction, that needs to be a human and not a bot, at least for the foreseeable future. Right, and do you think this also corresponds to the different levels of luxury? So maybe, for example, if you're paying you know, upwards of $1,500, do you expect someone to be there all the time? Probably yes. But you know, if you're paying that $150 just for that overnight stay, just to get in and out right super quick, maybe it would be easier to just go on your phone, check in, get to your room, and you know. Yeah, I think for other than the high-end luxury hotels, there's a lot of cases where automation will enhance your experience. So if you're at a you know, a select service hotel and you'd like something brought to your room or you want to find out, hey, what are you selling in the market or can I go get a cold beer tonight or whatever, would you rather go down and talk to someone at the front desk or call and wait for someone or would you rather have that answered in, you know, instantaneously? And you probably would. So there's a lot of cases where it actually would enhance the experience. But for higher end luxury hotels, you need someone there. I, I believe you need someone there, even if you're not talking to them, just that they're there. There's a level of security and confidence and comfort that there is someone standing right there, and anything I need, they will handle it for me, even if I don't currently need something. I think that's, that's still a positive. Absolutely, and I think that's something that, I mean, these bigger high-end hotels that, I mean, when they're spending... When a guest is spending over, I don't know, I think the average luxury hotel is about $550, I think if you're spending upwards of that much money on one room per one night, yeah. you expect a, a level of service that is just you know, impeccable. Yeah. No flaws, just perfect. I mean, I worked at a hotel this summer, as a summer job, uh, internship, that it was upwards of $2,700 a night. Yeah. And it was the type of thing where you need, to, you need to expect what the guest wants before they even want it. Before they even step onto the property, you need to know everything about them. And I think there are some implications that you can, that you can use from AI and searching the internet for this stuff to, to kind of focus on these guests. But at the end of the day, once they're there, you have to do everything for them. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. And I, I think even automation or AI plays an important role there, but it may be employee-facing instead of guest-facing. So if you can have information at your fingertips to help the employee deliver an, expect, an exceptional experience. That's a huge benefit. 
Right. The customer doesn't need to know how it got to be that that employee delivered such a great experience. They just need to know, I got a great experience. I still think there's, an, there's, a, there's a huge role to be played for AI in driving customer experience, but it may not be exactly customer facing. Right. Especially at the kind of hotels you go to or have worked at. I mean, those are some serious high-end hotels. Hopefully we get to stay there eventually. I mean, that's what I'm working towards, maybe. I don't know if I'll even spend that much on one room anyway. That's, that seems a little excessive. I'm thinking if I do another podcast with you, you can uh, hook, we'll do it there. Right, we'll, we'll yeah. get you there. Maybe they'll get us a little room there for, you know. Yes, I love it. Set us all up. Well, awesome. Let's, let's pivot a little bit. So here at the hotel school, we have, we'd like to hope, top-of-the-line students that are interested in, at least what I'm interested in is hotels. There are people here are re- interested in restaurants, F&B world. I mean, a lot of people go into the finance and, you know, real estate tracks. Now, there's people here that have a lot of interest, Right. People want to do sports. They want to do clubs. They want to do all these different things. And kind of my question is, and it's something that I deal, that I struggle with with myself, and I think a lot of other students is, how do you balance a work-life balance here at Cornell? Specifically, how do you do the things that you want to do versus the things you don't want to do, but combine them so you're successful, but also enjoying your four years or however long you're here at the school? Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. I, I wish I had a correspondingly excellent answer for you on that. Um, I mean, my, my first thought is take a deep breath and enjoy your time here. If you've, you know, a typical undergraduate, you've got four years here, less so if you're a transfer, less so if you take a study abroad. Um, you have a pretty limited time here and, and fully embrace it. And I, I don't want to see students graduate from here and then look back and tell their friends, hey, how was your time at Nolan? Oh, man, it was a grind. Mm. Like, that, that to me is a bad experience. You know, you, you should study and take your work seriously and prepare yourself for adult life and all that. But have some fun while you're here. Um, I'll share, a, I read a really interesting article. I read psychology today all the time, pretty much every day. And uh, there was one article, and, and it, it talks about this notion of margin, that everyone should build margin into their life. And what that means is if you're scheduled all day, just back to back to back to back, you have no margin. And it kind of resonated with me because the days when I'm happiest are the days when I have a lot going on, but I have some margin. And I think it's really important for your listeners to, um, to, to, to process that and like really internalize that. And, and, you know, it can't happen every day, but try to put some margin into your life. And that, that could be, you know, put times on your calendar. Like between 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock today, I have nothing going on. I might take a nap. I might read something. I might call my mom. I might watch a YouTube. Just sort of downtime, but whatever time it is that you want. It's really, really important. And part of college is experimenting. And you will start into some hobbies or clubs or groups, some of which will be interesting forever, some of which are like, okay, not my thing, which is great. So and if, if you spend time on something and it doesn't go anywhere, don't be, don't be hard on yourself. Like that's, that's part of the experimentation that, that is like the growth of college life is that. And, and just embrace the time when you're here because it, really it really does fly by. Yeah, well, thank you. for that, that, that means a lot. And kind of one of my really good friends last year, he was a senior, he graduated. And he, gave, he put something into perspective for me. It was the idea of there are 
unbelievable amounts of things that you can do on campus. I remember when I came here as a freshman, I wanted to do everything. I came from a high school where I, I was involved with everything and I wanted to do everything, but that's simply impossible. I mean, when you move to, to college, any college, I would say, but specifically with my experiences, the Nolan School, there's hundreds of clubs. There's all these opportunities. You can do all this stuff, but there's no possible way in the 24 hours in a day for me to be able to do all that. And what, what this senior friend of mine told me was the idea that involve yourself with certain things that you do like. So pick one, two, three clubs, maybe, or pick a few things that you want that you like and involve yourself with them, invest your time into them. And that's not to say that you can't involve yourself with more activities, but don't put yourself at the, the e-board in every single club that you do. Put yourself in, on the e-board of maybe the ones that you find really interesting, but it's okay to take that back seat in some of these, some of these activities that you're doing. Yeah, that's very sound advice. And I would say for your listeners, don't do something for the purposes of your resume. Don't do something because it will look good or sound good in an interview or, or you know, appear impressive on LinkedIn. Follow your interest. And if something's not interesting to you, don't do it. And I'll go off on a little rant here on some of the selective business clubs here. If, if I were a dictator, I would outlaw them, at least for freshmen, freshmen and sophomores, because it's too much pressure. And a lot of students here at Nolan feel like I need to be part of these business clubs or these finance clubs or certain kind of clubs, and I maybe even need a leadership role because I want to put it on LinkedIn, and if I don't do that, I don't have much to talk about in my next job interview. And my, my advice on that is just take a deep breath and don't do it. If there's a business club or another sort of club that you really want to be in because you like what they're talking about, go do it, absolutely. But do not feel pressure to do it, and don't do it for the purpose of your resume. I, I feel very strongly about that. I think that's great advice. And, you know, I think there's such a competitive culture to begin with at Cornell that people may feel that imposter syndrome or just that, that need to stay on top of everything and, and be in every single club. But, like, what I've found personally is that I'm a sophomore now, so freshman year, this, this year as well, I've just been still exploring the different types of clubs I want to be in. And what, I, what I've realized is that there are some clubs that you're going to stick with, some that you're not, and everyone has their own paths. There's no one straight line to success or you know, finding that dream job. Everyone's going to have their own different path. And I think people need to realize that it's, it's okay to just go off the, the path and do, do your own thing. Yeah, I, I, I try and tell each of my classes more than once and probably more than they want to hear that if you don't feel like you have your life figured out as an undergraduate, that that's actually okay. And it's actually a good thing, I believe. Um, I had a long, uh, you know, successful career in hospitality. I was, I was blessed in so many ways. I had my first job in hospitality when I was 31 years old. Before that, I never thought about hospitality. It wasn't on the radar. It wasn't part of a, I didn't have a grand plan as an undergraduate. You know, I liked math and science, and I studied that and got to shoot at rockets, and that was cool. Um, beyond that, it was sort of opportunistic. You take opportunities that, that show up in front of you and decide what you want to do. Um, I think it's a good idea to look to the future, have an eye to the future always, but focus on the present. Enjoy what you're doing now, and if you enjoy what you're working on now, you will do a good job at it. I mean, the best career advice ever is do a really good job in the job you're in. That's the best you can do. And 
things come into place later and, and it's not part of the master plan. So if you're listening to this and you're 20, 21 years old, thinking, you know, everyone around me has their act together and I uniquely am clueless. First of all, that's not true. And if you are clueless in the sense of, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, well, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm, uh, I'll be 60 in a year. <laughs> Nobody really knows what they're doing. You do the best you can with the information you got in front of you. And that's kind of it. That's, that's the key to life, in, in my view. And don't overstress about it. Um, I'm going off on a tangent here, but um, there's a, a scholar that I follow, uh, Kristen Neff, who teaches at UT Austin. I read a really, a really cool paper that she did. And she talks about the importance of self-compassion instead of self-esteem. And it was really eye-opening for me. And it addresses, you mentioned the imposter syndrome, it addresses that too. And her paper, which I would recommend, you, know, you guys can, you can Google it or download it, um, it says self-esteem is a false goal, meaning when things are going well in your life, you're feeling good, you don't need self-esteem. When things are going poorly and you need a self-esteem bump, that's precisely when you don't have it. And instead of focusing on that, focus on self-compassion. What that means is if you show up, you pay attention, you're trying hard, if things don't go your way in a certain case, cut yourself some slack, keep moving on. It happens to everybody all the time. And, and take a deep breath and give yourself a little bit of self-compassion. And again, if you're, if you're a decent human being, you're working hard, you're trying hard, sometimes things go great, sometimes they don't. And if they don't, self-compassion needs to be applied right there. Anyway, it's a, it's a re it was a very eye-opening article, paper that she wrote. That was a long-winded answer to your question. Yeah, no, that was great. And um, so you've given a lot of great advice so far. And if you were to give a single piece of advice for students right now um, in the hotel school, Cornell in general, in terms of what they should do to make the most out of time at Cornell and best career advice that you can give them, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, the best career advice, it sort of changes over time. I've done a couple of career talks for different organizations, including other schools and even other, some other companies. Um, I'm kind of a simplistic dude, so I, I, my, my career advice is, I, I say there's three steps here. Figure out what it is that you want to do and actually give it some thought. And that changes over time, but any, at any phase in your life, figure out what it is that you want. It could be, I want a new job, I want a promotion, I want this kind of experience, I want to travel, or whatever. Figure out what it is that you actually want and be honest with yourself. And then, so that's step one, and spend some time on that. And then step two is figure out what needs to happen and what actions you need to take to make that happen. And be very precise about that. Like make a checklist. Do these things in order, in order to increase my chances of achieving what I just set out in, in the first step. And then step three is start checking them off. Just execute step two, that's it. Um, it sounds very simplistic and kind of formulaic. I'm an engineer, maybe that's how I roll. But uh, if, you, if you think through that at various stages in your career, uh, I believe it will be helpful. Amazing. Thank you so much. Great words from a great man. I think uh, we're running out of time here. But right. I just wanted to say thank you so much for you know, humoring us and joining on for a podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me.
Thank you so much, Professor White. All right. And thank you to all the listeners. Absolutely. This has been the first episode of the Hotelli podcast. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys next time. Thank you.